you find Chronicles in your Old Testament, it's the first book after First and Second Chronicles. Ezra chapter 1. This book speaks of a time after the exile of which God's people were brought into captivity in the land of Babylon, away from home for decades at this time. And what happens in Ezra chapter 1 is something monumental, something huge. The number who went on a journey from Babylon to Jerusalem may have only been a couple of thousand people. But it was absolutely enormous in scale. This happened in the year three or five thirty-eight BC, when God's people are brought back to their land, a land where they knew freedom, brought them out of captivity, brought them out of the misery that they knew in Babylon. Something that seemed impossible before. The Jews, God's people, were seen as troublemakers. But there was a new ruler, Cyrus, king of Persia. Something a couple of years before then would have seemed almost unimaginable. But as we see in the scriptures, God is in control of all things. But there's also a spiritual reality More than just a group of people leaving one physical part of the world in Babylon and traveling to another part of the world, Jerusalem. We also see restoration. We also see the need of the restoration of the city of God that is Jerusalem. A city broken down because of sin. A city broken down because of covenant breaking. And it has much to teach us here in 2022. They needed restoration, people of God. And so do we. So do we. So let us read now Ezra chapter 1. Let us hear God's holy word. Now the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up. The spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. He has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem." Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, 
arose to go up and build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. And all those that were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of God, of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath. The treasurer encountered them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them, 30 gold platters and 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of a similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Sheshbazar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Why do people go to the doctor? Normally, why do people go to the doctor? There's a sense of which something is wrong. Perhaps your health is not what it used to be. There needs to be restoration of our health. And that's the time when our physical health is suffering. We go to a doctor. We go to someone with training. We go to someone with medicine. We go to someone we hope can heal us. And restoration is not just something that anyone can do, is it? If we have our health, we need to go to a doctor. But if we need, if a building needs restoration... We need to go to someone who has been trained in that, a special skill, to bring back that building back to its former glory. Our God restores a fallen people. And in this time, he restored a fallen city, a city that had been raised A city that had been brought to ruins. A city where even the temple was gone. God alone is the one with the skill. He is the one alone with the power. In order to restore God's city. And why the need for restoration? Sin. Sin and rebellion against God. And they had been warned many Years before, during the time of Moses, in Leviticus 26, verses 23 to 25, this is what they were warned. And if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you. And I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant when you are gathered together Within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. So they had been warned of 
covenant curses. There were also promised covenant blessings as well in that same chapter of Leviticus 26. And what happened? They were brought into exile. They were taken away from their home in Jerusalem. And they should have known because this is what had already happened to the northern kingdom of Israel by the Assyrians. But unfortunately, there was neglect. And in in a time of neglect of true religion, there was a great need of restoration. A great need of restoration. If we, if our car is not working, we need to go to the mechanic to find out what is needed to change to bring about restoration. If there's a decline in our health, we need to know what needs to change in order to bring about restoration restoration without knowing the problem we cannot be restored and we cannot know who to go to and this is how we need to go to we need to go to god the god who restores the god who restores the great physician the great specialist the one we go to for the greatest disease we'll ever face sin this morning we're going to look at the fact that God, the same God who brought his people out of captivity in 538 BC, is the same God who restores today. And that same power, that same purpose, those same promises are still in effect today. He still restores today. So, the God who restores, he restores, number one, he restores according to his promises Number one, according to his promises. Verse one, Ezra chapter one. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. According to his promises. It would be easy in a foreign land, away from home, to lose sight of Canaan. And when we think of Canaan, the land, this holy land that God's people had taken in the book of Joshua, this is a picture of our heavenly inheritance. We ought to not lose sight of our heavenly Canaan to come. But in a foreign land, it would be easy for them to lose sight of their home or where they were supposed to. To be. When they were there, it was a sign of the good pleasure of God. God's face shine upon them as long as they were in that land. It was a picture of God's mercy, their inheritance from God. How long had passed? It mentions here by the mouth of Jeremiah, by the mouth of Jeremiah, and there was 70 years to pass according to Jeremiah's prophecy. Before God would visit them and bring them back to the land. Now that 70 years seems to be referring to the time of the destruction of the temple in 586 BC. And then it was rebuilt exactly 70 years later in 516 BC. But we think of many years have passed, haven't they? From the time that they went away, they were brought away in about... A number of exiles. And how many years had they been out of the land? Some had been out 50 years. Some had been out 60. Some had been out 
70 years. We think of people like Ezekiel, Daniel, who'd been taken away from their home. And it's a long time to wait, isn't it, for the promises of God. Decades have passed. Many might have started to think, will we ever be brought back to our home? Some might have heard the promises when they were five. Maybe perhaps ten years old for the first time. And now what age are they? After many years of being brought back. Perhaps now they're in their 60s or their 70s or their 80s. Having heard these promises many years before. Jeremiah 29 verse 10 said this. But God promised for thus says the Lord after 70 years are accomplished are completed at Babylon. I will visit you. And perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. Seventy years. He promised to restore them to the land. According to his promise. And it's, it's very hard for us, isn't it? I don't think it's just me that finds it hard with the waiting period. Waiting is not easy. We find it, the more obstacles that come in our way, the more we may doubt, sadly doubt God's promises. Especially the more time that goes by. But friends, God is faithful to those promises. No matter how many years may pass by, he will do exactly what he said he will do. Often in the world, we don't see many examples of trustworthiness, do we, sometimes? Um, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of ringing up a tradesman and saying, oh, I'll be here on Monday. Monday comes, Tuesday comes, Wednesday comes, and uh, they don't come. Um, We don't see many examples today of people who keep their word. The promises of mere men will be broken. And sometimes broken all too quickly. But if you find a friend who's reliable and trustworthy and does exactly what he says he will do and is there in times of trouble, they are a rare jewel, aren't they? They're someone to, to really appreciate and to never take for granted. Believers in Jesus Christ, God is faithful. He's faithful in every single thing he has ever promised, down to the minutiae, in every point. His promises come to pass exactly as promised, and they came to pass with God's people here, and this time, as he brought them out of exile, brought them out of Babylon. Not one thing changes, because our hearts can say this, can't they? As you're hearing this here this morning, you might be thinking, it's all too good to be true. I've been praying for my friend for 10 years. It just seems so long. The promises of God never fail. They never fail. He has promised, what has he promised to you? He has promised, if you have trusted in him and in him alone, if you're one of his people... He has promised to bring you through the desert wilderness of this life. The challenges, the difficult challenges in a wilderness. On a journey toward heavenly Canaan, hasn't he? 
He doesn't promise that the journey will be easy. He actually promises that it will be difficult. Blessed are you who are persecuted, Jesus said in the Beatitudes. He doesn't promise you an easy life. He promises you a challenging, difficult life. But he promises you safe deliverance to heavenly Jerusalem. And he promises to bring you there one day in Jesus Christ. He's promised us after our last breath, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, that we will go into the presence of paradise. A paradise beyond what the eye has seen or the ear heard. Something we can't quite wrap our minds around. A place with no, no suffering, with no tears, perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect comfort, perfect fulfillment. It just seems so alien to us, doesn't it? But blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, you shall be filled. It says in Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they have called to mind that country from which they had been called out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, and he has prepared a home for you. He won't leave you in the wilderness. He won't leave you in exile. He will bring you home if you have trusted in him. No matter how many years it may seem to go, God is faithful to all of his promises. It can be easy for us to become frustrated. But we have to remember, God doesn't promise us comfort, riches in this life. He promises us riches in the world to come. So, we've looked at according to his promises. Now we're going to look at according to his power. God restores according to his power. Number two. Verses one and two. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in a writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he's commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Remember what Cyrus says here. All the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. According to his power. We may promise something to someone. To friends of ours. We may be sincere in that promise. We may wish to fulfill that promise. 
we may not be able to do it. Imagine after hearing yesterday, I promised to come here and to preach here. But imagine on the road, I got a flat tire or something happened in my car, then I wouldn't be able to come here. But this is not the case with God. God is in complete control of everything. We are not almighty. We are not sovereign. We are not in control of things. Try as we may, we can't control all the bad outcomes in life. But he is in control of every single aspect of life. Every dust particle that falls to the ground, it is by his sovereign permission. Have you ever thought about it? Every beat of your chest right now in your heart, is, he allows it. As your air comes in and out of your lungs, it is by God's permission. So we can trust the intentions of somebody. They may want to do what they say, but God is different. He has the power. He has the power. And this is why we must trust God. He not only keeps his promises because he is good, he is holy, he is dependable, he is morally good, but he is also powerful. Over even the pagan unbelieving kings of the world. Isn't that a comfort in our day? We see many pagan rulers around our world wreaking havoc. We, we look across to Eastern Europe at the moment and it's incredibly sad, isn't it? But we have to remember it is by God's hand that nations are, are risen and nations also fall. It is all under God's control. And as we see this here with Cyrus, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. Cyrus is not beyond God. Cyrus at that time was the most powerful ruler upon the face of the earth. There was no one even close. And God still used this mighty ruler To bring about his purposes. And this empire. It went all the way from Greece. Across to India. Down to places like Egypt. The most powerful ruler. The instrument of God. And look at what it says here in Isaiah 44. Verse 28. Isaiah 44 verse 28. To the beginning of the next chapter. And this is written over a hundred years before Cyrus is even born. This is what it says. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, To subdue nations before him. To loose the armor of kings. To open before him the double doors. So that the gates will not be shut. It's it's incredible. The more you look at this prophecy. Written over a hundred years before Cyrus was even born. Before the Persian Empire was even a thing. 
that anybody took any notice of. Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, could write that and how Cyrus would be used long before Isaiah didn't completely understand this at this time. How much power does God have? How much power does God have? And that's what we see here. This is what we see in such texts. He brings all things to pass. See, we think, oh, he brings the big things that I pray about to pass. But he doesn't just bring those things to pass. He brings everything to pass. Everything. Everything you can think of. Everything you can't think of. He brings everything to pass. Even before Cyrus is born, he knew his name. He knew his name. Nothing happens without our God. And humanly speaking, Cyrus is a mighty king. And was a mighty king at that time. But nothing compared to God. Absolutely nothing compared to God. So when we get nervous, when we turn on, on the news and we see people like you know, Vladimir Putin and all these things going on, what will they do next? You see the fear. You see the, you know, what's he going to do next with these weapons and these different things. But compared to God, he's nothing compared to God. Absolutely nothing. It says in Proverbs 21.1, it says the king's heart, or think of it like this, what the king wants is in the hands of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. He turns it wherever he wishes. It's not the presidents and the leaders of countries we are to fear. It is the God of heaven and earth we are to fear. The one who can bring about everything he has promised. Every single last bit of it. He is in complete control and no one else is. And Cyrus, even as a pagan, acknowledges this. It's quite amazing. He acknowledges the God of heaven and earth that he gave him all this. God stirred up the heart of Cyrus. Not a believer. Cyrus was not a believer. Should we not pray for our leaders? I don't know about you, but perhaps sometimes when you're praying, you might think, this person is a horrible person. He's he's a leader in this area. And all the horrible things he has done, but do we still pray for him? Because... Even these horrible rulers that sometimes we we struggle with to pray for. Perhaps they have been involved in terrorism in the past and various different things like that. But God is even in control of them. We, We must never limit the power of God. We must pray for them and pray for them to come to know Christ. God is able to bring about everything he has promised. Number three now. According to his precepts. So God, Jehovah, the king of heaven and earth. He restores according to his promises, his power. Number three now, his precepts. His precepts. The first verses we're going to look at for this is verses five and six. Five and six. Then the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin. And the priests and the Levites. With all the, whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them 
with the articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered, according to his precepts. Now this is in response, we look at verses 3 and 4 of what Cyrus, king of Persia, had written. Look at verses 3 and 4. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. According to his precepts, according to his teaching. And Though Cyrus was not a believer, he was, at the time, they would look to all the gods of any of the, the countries they would conquer. Though not a believer, still in the hands of God, his teachings were going forth. And his instructions were going forth to rebuild and to restore the city of God. He uses church leaders to bring about restoration in the people of God. He uses all sorts. He leaves nothing to chance. The precepts of God are so important that we know them. Who commanded Cyrus and these representatives and the the remaining church in Judah? Who commanded it? It's God. Verse 3 to 5. It is God who commands this instruction to go and build. Go and build. These are the commands of God they have stirred up. Stirred up by the Spirit of God, but also stirred up by the Word and the teaching of God. Their hearts have been moved toward God's will. This might seem a very obvious point. That that they have been moved towards God's will, towards God's precepts, toward God's teaching. What God teaches them to do. But you'd be surprised. Often when we think of revival in churches, when we think of uh, the Reformation, we often will think of good things such as more people coming to church. And that is a good thing. We will think of much excitement. That is a good thing. But I often rarely hear today when people talk about revival, not just the numbers that will come into the building, but the changing of God's people Toward the will of God. That they themselves will be changed. With the outpouring of the spirit of God. If revival comes again to this part of the world. It will be this. We will be more as God's people conform to the image of Christ. And out of that also. Other people. Will be saved. And we rejoice with your wonderful news that you will have a new pastor in a few weeks' time. And we rejoice at that. But the best way you can support him is by being more conformed to the teachings of God. That is the most encouraging thing a gospel minister can ever see. That the people of God are applying the truth to 
to their lives. It's not that they think he's the greatest preacher since sliced bread or anything like that. The most encouraging thing to a man of God is that he sees in your life, you're changed. You're, you're a better husband. You're a better wife, a better daughter or son, grandfather. Whatever your position is, you're being changed by the word of truth. And these words, the instruction of God, is being applied to us. Because often we can come to fill our minds, but do we fill our hearts? Do we fill our hands with the truth? Revival and other things make us treasure God, and it also makes us treasure the house of God, the city of God. And today, that is the church of God, his bride. We need to love the precepts of God. We need to love what he teaches us, and we wish to be more like him. Whatever he teaches us, through whatever instrument he uses to teach, he's using here Cyrus, a wicked ruler, far from being a perfect man. But they follow in this instruction, and it brings blessing. It brings strengthening. And it brings change. Now, there's no indication from the text here that this was a revival. But here's what's important, that we were conformed to the will of God. Of course, we want many people to be saved. But that they see it in our lives. If, if somebody came to our home, our homes are not perfect, of course not. But if somebody came to our home, did they at least see an attempt, an effort to apply the word of God to our lives? That they see prayer before meals, perhaps. That they see an attempt to, to instruct your children in the ways of God. And that's the sweet aroma of Christ from our homes. We need to love God's precepts because it is by God's teaching that there's restoration. We want to see the walls of Jerusalem built up again. We want to see the temple built up again. At this time, it's in ruins. And it is through them following the teaching of Almighty God. Our final point now is number four. According to his purposes. According to his purposes. So God, our God who restores, he restores according to his promises, his power, his precepts, and finally, his purposes. His purposes. Verses seven and eight. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. Now we can look at that text and we think, wow, look, look at all this stuff. Look at all this wealthy stuff. It's very impressive looking. And we may even think, look at all the money there. We may think a new start, a new freedom, a new opportunity. But this would be missing the point. They may even think that the Persians are just setting them free. No, no, it's God. It is God setting them free. 
It is God restoring them. And God has a purpose for all these things that he is giving them. King Cyrus brought them these things, but it's ultimately God who brought them these things. It's not so much, here are your stuff back. Here are the things that the Babylonians took many years before that. And here, is, here are all the things we took from you. This is not the sense of this. It's more of the, 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 the literal house of God, the temple of God. The house that has been broken down, destroyed by the Babylonians. The glory, the splendor and the majesty of that temple. It was a mighty temple. Gone. Being restored. Giving the means back to God's people to restore the glory and the splendor of the temple of God. Now, we also need to be careful that we just don't think we're going to relive the glory days. But God, in his providence through Cyrus, is giving them the means to bring about restoration. In a time of judgment, these things were removed. In a time of judgment, in a time of great suffering for God's people. And if you want to see the suffering that they experienced right after the temple was destroyed, right after all the warnings of Jeremiah were ignored, read the book of Lamentations. It is heartbreaking. It is a heartbreaking book. They suffered tremendously. But God brings them and gives them the means for the glory and you could say the shine to return to the house of God he, it shows his care for the church building up the church in his purpose to build up this is his purpose we see in this in giving all these expensive artifacts and things like this back to the temple of God we see his purpose don't we we see God's purpose is to build up the church. It is to strengthen her. To support her. We think of a good marriage between a husband and a wife. What does a good husband do? Nurtures, builds up, and strengthens his dear wife. And this is what the Lord does for his bride. Giving the means to do that. We'll think of Can we think of the opposite now? What if someone had continually come to the same building time after time after time to vandalize a building? And they they always wanted to keep coming back and, and mark that building. You'd think, well, that person really doesn't like whatever that building represents. There's an animosity. There's a, perhaps there's even a hatred Towards whatever that building represents. There was a very sad case in the mid-1990s. Of a number of church buildings that were burned to the ground in Norway. And it was because of a group of people. Who admitted they followed the devil. Admitted they followed Satan. It was a very sad case in the mid-1990s. A very clear example of the hatred they had for the Christian faith. I only know about this strange event because once I was led by some of these people. 
The enemy wishes to attack the house of God. The enemy wishes to attack your family. The enemy wishes to attack your church. The enemy wants you to start attacking each other. He wants you to rip pieces off that building and not to build it up. The purpose of God is not ripping each other apart. It's to build each other up in in the truth. God's purpose is a, it's a wonderful purpose. It's a glorious purpose. And we can't imagine sometimes how do we how are we so blessed with such a purpose? We don't deserve it. But he loves, he purposes to build up his church. He restores to Jerusalem, to Judah, the glory taken away in judgment. He brings back that shine, that glory. Today, his temple, it's not a physical temple, it's not a physical building, it is the church. And where are the building blocks? We look around us, we see believers in Jesus Christ, these are the building blocks. The foundation is the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. And the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. That is the temple of God today. And God wishes to build up this temple. And I say, as you're about in a few weeks' time to have a new minister, would we not all work together to build up this temple? To build up the city of God today. To strengthen one another. Because that is God's purpose. To build it up. To strengthen her. And that she... That the bride of Christ would be more, more like her Savior, fed and strengthened and built up, and given God gives the means for these things as well. The church in the West, wherever you look, doesn't matter where you go, be it Northern Ireland, be it Scotland, America, wherever you look, we're, we're in need of revival, aren't we? We're in need of restoration, we're in need of strengthening. We're in need of God. And you could say much of the glory of the former days, maybe the the old revival in Ulster. Much of the things have been taken away, the glory of God, for various different reasons. But we need our God who restores. God is able, God was able back then to bring them out of exile, to bring them into freedom, to take them out of captivity, to bring them out of Oppression, a place where they felt they couldn't even worship God at times. Bringing back to God, the God who restores. This morning, friends, may we see a God who restores. A God who restores our own walk with Him. A God who restores our marriages. A God who restores our families' walk with God. A God who restores our churches. A God who restores our communities that they would bow the knee to Christ. A God who would restore our nation. Doesn't our nation seem so utterly lost in the things that it says? And some of these are from professing Christians, aren't they? And it's heartbreaking. 
It is heartbreaking. But we have a God who restores. He restored in the 6th century BC. And he still restores today in 2022. Regardless of how big or small our congregations may be. He restores and he uses. He will use his people. As he did here. Because he is a God who restores. Amen.